Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Um, Lord, that's what we just sang is why we're here. Lord, we want to make much of you. Father, I just pray that um, as we just continue to go forward here and Jess comes and shares, I just pray that, God, you would cause her words to um, pierce our hearts and make us bow down before you because you're worthy and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. <coughs> Jess, you can come up. You, oh, you're okay. For just a split second, I was like, she ghosted me. She's out. But I knew you wouldn't do that. Come on up. Um, want to introduce Jess. I know Jess somewhat well. I've only known her for about a year. Uh, she was a friend of Rebecca Miller's, and I think it was last year. Um, I think we were doing a shoe packing party for Operation, Christ Operation Christmas Child. Uh, uh, just standing in the back there, Rebecca introduced me to her. And over the last year or so, um, just she comes to prayer meeting and she's taking an E2 course, stuff like that. I uh, don't know her super well, but you know when you talk to somebody and you can just tell that God is doing something in their life? You know what I mean? That's what, that's kind of the sense I get every time I talk with Jess, is that God is just doing something in her life. And uh, I just wanted her to come and share a little bit of her story tonight as we're here. So, good. Thanks, Eric. Well, as Eric said, my name is Jess. And if you had told me that I was going to be doing this, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> so... <clears throat> I grew up in a Christian home, and one second, sorry, yes, so as Eric said, my name is Jess, and I grew up in a Christian home, I had wonderful Christian parents, and three younger brothers, grandparents, and extended family. My parents took us to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And I memorized Bible verses weekly, starting at a young age, and I went to Bible memory camp every summer. At one of these camps, I went forward and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But on the inside, I hadn't really changed. I got older, and I wanted nothing to do with God. I had a problem with authority. I really believed that I myself was the authority, and I would only listen and respect people whom I believed were good. I did not see myself as a sinner, but as a basically good person who had a different way of doing things than everyone else. These problems got worse during my teenage years. I started to doubt the existence of God after my grandfather passed away when I was 12. And I began acting out against authority figures in my life, which led my parents to give me consequences, a popular word in our household. But instead of learning my lesson early, I rebelled even more. And I really believed that my parents and religion were the problem. At 18, I left for college, vowing never to return home. In my world religions class, the professor told us that Christianity was for ignorant and backwards people and that true intellectuals would never believe that way. That was the final nail in the coffin of whatever faith I did have at the time. I was determined to never go back to Christianity. Instead, I was going to be successful. Many people, especially friends and college professors, applauded me in this endeavor. I got my degree and lived in Washington, D.C. and eventually moved to Colorado. 
My rebellion against God and against authority went from bad to worse, finally landing me in a jail cell one night. But still, I did not learn my lesson. After a few years in Colorado, Facebook recruited me to work at their headquarters in Silicon Valley, California. This was a dream come true. At that moment, I really was so proud of myself. I believed that I had made everything ha happen and now life was really going to work out for me. I moved to San Francisco and began my new life there. On the outside, life was good. I was traveling to exotic places, going backpacking with friends in Yosemite, and spending weekends at my ski cabin in Lake Tahoe. On the inside, I struggled with feelings of deep inadequacy and constant anxiety. Even though I had finally reached what I felt like was the pinnacle of success, I was more anxious than ever before. I used drugs to numb the pain and feel like I had moments of sanity. Then 2020 hit, and with the pandemic in full swing, I moved to Lake Tahoe. Another dream come true. Working remotely for a hugely successful company, snowboarding every day, and partying all the time. That was my life, and I thought it was pretty awesome. But my anxiety kept getting worse. I was confused. I had more money than I'd ever had. I was doing all the drugs that money could buy, and all of my friends in Tahoe were snowboarders. What more could I want? I remember getting to the top of the highest mountain in North America, getting ready to go down the slopes, but something was nagging at me. Was this really all there was to life? I pushed it down and kept going. Later that year, I came home for a wedding. I had not been home in a long time. I had planned to come home for this wedding and then leave immediately after. But something else was happening. The Spirit of God was at hand. I decided to stay one week and then another. Then I found out I needed surgery to replace my ACL, which I had torn while snowboarding. So I decided I would get the surgery, but then I would move right back to California. Well, still here. I never did go back, except for once, to pack up my worldly possessions to send home. God's miraculous hand was so at work during this time. But again, I thought I had made everything happen myself. I moved home, quit my job at Facebook, and underwent ACL surgery right before my 29th birthday. You know, just a few minor life changes. That was a dark time. I felt like my carefully constructed life was crumbling all around me, and I didn't know who I was anymore. I woke up each day with fear and existential dread, knowing that I would have to make decisions that day which I did not feel prepared to do. I had always had a plan for my life, for what I was going to do next, but now I was running around in circles. I thought maybe I should do a road trip. I thought the Ohio winter was getting to me. I spent hours on the phone with my friends living in other states. Should I move? Where would I go? Anywhere but here, the possibilities seemed endless, but the endless choices didn't solve any of my problems. What would I do for work in a new place where I didn't know anybody? What about the coronavirus pandemic? My life was a constant circle of panic, and I had no peace. It was during this time that God began calling me. Words really do fail to describe exactly what happened because it was a supernatural event, but I do believe God calls us to try. So I will try to do that. <clears throat> it was a, one of those cold, wintry Ohio days, and I was out in my dad's shop when a song came on the radio that I'd never heard before, and the lyrics said, God only knows what you've been through. 
God only knows what they say about you. God only knows the real you. And a lot of things started happening at once. First, I felt sad and very afraid that it was true, that bit about God knowing me, because there were a lot of things I'd been pushing down and a lot of things that I was using to deal with my pain, and I didn't want God to know about that. Then I felt angry. The nerve of that song. How dare it tell me what to do? <laughs> How dare anyone act like they know me, like they know who I am and what I've gone through? It's pathetic to expect that anyone would be able to understand me, let alone tell me what to do with my life. Then I felt apathy. Oh well, I thought, it doesn't matter anyway. I live my life how I please, and I'm going to continue doing so. I really don't see a need to start acting any differently just because I heard some random song play on the radio. No need to have some huge radical life shift. I'm comfortable enough for the time being, and overall, I'm a pretty good person. But God, who is rich in mercy, continued to pursue me. Finally, when I was alone in my room one day, I had a breakdown. I came to the end of myself. I said, okay, God, if you are real, then I want to know who you are, and I want to know the plans that you have for my life. I waited for a flash from the sky, but none came. Then I remembered the Bible. I went into my closet, and I pulled out the tattered pink Bible that my fourth grade Sunday school teacher had given me and I began to read the Bible again. My conversion was very slow and painstaking. God was beginning to show me who he was, but I still resisted. I said, maybe God is real, but I don't need to repent of my sin because I'm still in control, which obviously I needed God to show me how not in control I was. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, the true gospel is offensive. I began to see the major strongholds of sin in my life and that the gospel calls us to crucify our sin as Christ was. This was not a happy message at first. I thought, if God is real, surely he just wants me to be happy. But I told my parents that I wanted to start going to church again, and they were overjoyed. I was baptized on April 26, 2021. As time went on, as I earnestly got into the word and began to be discipled by a wonderful woman of faith, I began to finally understand the true gospel as if for the first time. I began to see myself as I truly was, a wretched sinner in desperate need of someone to rescue me and restore my soul. In Psalm 91, God promises to rescue those who love him. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I also began to understand authority, as well as identity and the inherent worth that I have as a child of God. I have learned many painful lessons about the authority of self. Thank God that he sets us free from this crippling effort of trying to make things happen on our own. Thank God that he sets us free to follow his authority. I honestly never thought I would say that. But I am so thankful today that God has taught me the beautiful freedom that comes from bowing to his authority in my life. God will have the final say 
over heaven and earth. So why should he not have the final say over my life? John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God's word is the final authority. There are many more details of the specific ways and people that God used to draw me to him. I wish I had the time to go into all of those specific details because God is a God of details and I believe that he cares about the smallest details in our lives. But I would be remiss if I did not mention my family. And when I first moved home, my parents had, one, had just one rule, no drugs or alcohol. I disobeyed this rule in less than 24 hours but instead of giving me the punishment I deserved, they gave me grace. It would have been easy for them to proselytize to me, but instead, they prayed for me. They lived their lives differently than all the people I knew in Silicon Valley. They loved selflessly and trusted God to provide for them. I used to think that was so naive, but I cannot overstate the impact that it had on me. As John 1 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's why when you light a candle in a dark room, the light shines and the darkness doesn't stifle it. Living at home felt like living in a light that was bright and warm. And once the light started to penetrate my own life, it got to a point where I just really didn't want to get high anymore. I'm so thankful that God continued to pursue me even through all of the years that I was running away. I was not looking for him, but he was looking for me. In John 15:16, Jesus said, you do not choose me but I chose you. What a good God. The gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed my life. Put simply, I was one way, and now I am another. I was dead, but now I am alive. I was asleep, but now I am awakened to truth. I was living in the darkness of sin and shame, but now I walk in the victory of Christ, and I have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's amazing. <laughs> This song um, really sums it up well. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. Jesus is the greatest treasure. In him, our souls find true rest, satisfaction, and joy. Let us rejoice in the light of the world who came to make our souls truly alive with him. Thank you, Jess. God is good, amen? And he changes people's lives. It's, uh, it's what he does, you know? It's what he does. Um, if you have your Bibles, grab them. Maybe you didn't bring them tonight because, you know, Christmas Eve service, what do you do? Do you bring your Bible? Maybe get your phone, something. I want to share with you from God's Word another Christmas story. Not the traditional Christmas story. For those of you that call Mercy Hill home over the last couple uh, weeks we've been in Matthew 1 and 2 this past Sunday. We looked at Matthew chapter 2, and of course, that's one of what people consider one of the traditional Christmas stories with the wise men and the star that leads them 
to where Jesus is. We read another one earlier tonight out of the Gospel of Luke, and you have shepherds, and you have angels appearing to those shepherds, and uh, a little baby in a manger. Um, But that's the way Matthew and that's the way Luke explain what we call the Christmas story more accurately. uh, Maybe we should say theologically, it'd be called the incarnation story of Jesus coming to earth and, and putting on flesh. But there's another Christmas story, another incarnation story uh, that Jess actually read from in John chapter 1. And John describes the incarnation story, or as we might say, the Christmas story, not with a manger or shepherds or wise men or stars, although those things are true and they're important. He describes it simply this way, is that light came down into darkness. That's the way he describes it. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And as Jess read, the light shines in the darkness. It's very simple, but very good news. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. Amen? It can't. It can't. And just a couple thoughts about light and darkness here um, as we look at God's word and then we'll, we'll sing and, and we'll let you go. Um, number one is that darkness really is a problem for humanity. <laughs> it's not just that we walk in the darkness, we do walk in the darkness, but it's that we are darkness. It's part of our nature. The Bible's clear here, and, and again, we don't have time to trace this all throughout John, but light and darkness is a major theme in all of John's writing. But another place in John chapter 3, this is actually recorded by uh, the Apostle John, but it's from the mouth of Jesus, and Jesus said it like this. He goes, here's the judgment. And if I could just kind of sum that up, Jesus is talking to a religious leader named Nicodemus, and he's basically going, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The light has come into the world but people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things, it hates the light, and it doesn't want to come to the light, lest their works would be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his work has been carried out in God. See, this is kind of the heart of what Jess was saying. If you heard what she was talking about, is that, I love what you said there, I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but it was pretty simple. I once was one thing, and now I'm something else. I once was darkness, and now I'm light. Why? Because the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. His name was Jesus. We have a problem with darkness. You know, um, just on a, <coughs> on a natural level, uh, some of my worst accidents, and I've had some bad ones, Uh, I've fallen off a roof, I've broken my neck, you know, for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, I tell stories all the time about how I hurt myself, um, because it seems to happen often. One of them was early on, back before I was old and things cracked and ached and everything else, but I was pretty young, and some friends and I were toilet papering another friend of ours, which is a nice thing to do to your friends, you know, Uh, and it's back, back a little bit before I was following Jesus, so don't judge me, okay? But it was pitch black. 
And I was running as fast as I can because someone came out the basement door and I'd just thrown a roll and I was not going to get caught. And I went sprinting up through their yard. And even though I was kind of familiar with this friend's house, I forgot that their clothesline was right here in front of me. And I ran as hard as I could. And you know the term clothesline? For those of you that maybe play football or are into wrestling or something, I don't know. Um, that's, that's real. That's, that happens. And I was running as fast as I could and I never saw it. And it caught me right there, and and I hit it so hard, it threw me on my back, and I ripped down the clothesline. Another time, uh, and there are many, actually, but another time, uh, my wife and I were riding snowmobile. At night, in the dark, it was snowing. It was a very nice, uh, wintry, wintry night. And we were riding with some other friends on these snowmobiles in someone's field, this one maybe wasn't just because of the dark. It would have probably been a little bit hard to see anyway. But we were riding through the field, and little did I know there was an electric fence that I was heading right for. And once again, clotheslined, the wire caught me right there. Luckily, I had a scarf on. Uh, and not only was I lucky that I had a scarf on, but my wife was hanging on behind me. And so the snowmobile kept going. We flew off, and thankfully she was there to break my fall. Um, <laughs> I love you, sweetie. But men look pretty foolish in the darkness. Amen? We look pretty foolish. Not just naturally, but in our, in our sin, the darkness of our sin. We don't know what we're doing. We fall down a lot. And the weird thing is we wonder why. We wonder, why, why did I fall again? Because you're walking in darkness. You cannot see. You need change. The very nature of who you are needs change. And that is exactly what the good news of the gospel offers us, brothers and sisters. That he wants to come and he actually wants to change us from darkness to light. He wants to do a miracle. He wants to make a new creation. In fact, there's no doubt that in John's gospel here that, again, where where Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament, where Paul tends to write like a lawyer, John writes more like a poet. And there's imagery and there's things that he wants to bring to mind. And and without question, one of the things that he wants to bring to mind in these first couple verses um, of his gospel where he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Is that without question, he's bringing to mind the creation story. That if you remember back in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then do you remember what happened? God's Word came on the scene. God spoke. God said, let there be, what? Do you know? Light. Light. This idea of light in darkness, I'm telling you guys, it's, it's like part, kind of like of our origin story, if I can say that. Is that because of, because of sin, darkness has just been in us from the beginning, but Jesus came to bring about a new creation. The work of the gospel is a miracle. When someone is born again, it is a work that God does. It is a miracle. 
Yes, we make a choice. We might raise our hand. We might pray a prayer. We might walk an aisle. We might pray with a parent. We might pray by ourselves. We might pray as we're driving down the road, listening to a message on the radio. But when someone is truly born again, it is because God speaks into that dark heart and he makes that darkness light. And we are far too easily uh, just anesthetized to the miracle that is the new creation that Jesus Christ came to bring about. He makes what was darkness light. It's absolutely a miracle. Just another thought on darkness and light here is that there's going to be a day when all the darkness is forever gone. I know that's weird for us because that's all we've ever known. There's always been evening and morning, night and day. There's always been sin in our life. Even for those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the struggle with sin can still be real at times, very real. And not just at times. I mean, let's be honest, every day. But there's going to be a day when the darkness passes away. And at the very end of this story that you find in this amazing book called the Bible, in Revelation 22, 5, it says that in the new creation, the night will be no more. They need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And so I just want to say that there's a day coming when darkness is lo- no longer going to exist. But, but in the meantime, in the here and now, one of the things I want to say is that right now, God, for whatever reason, he has allowed darkness and light to both be present in our lives. And as Jess said, when you shine a light, you turn on the light, the darkness has to flee. And there's coming a day when the light, the true light is going to come, we're gonna see him with our eyes and the darkness is going to be, more, to be no more. But right now, God allows darkness. He allows evil, he allows hurt, he allows pain, he allows injustice. He allows things that really make us say, ouch, in our life at times. But he allows those things in our life so that our light, his light in us, can shine through us all the brighter. It's one of the reasons why, you know, this time of year we decorate with lights. And most people, you know, just kind of leave them on if you decorate your house or your Christmas tree or you see some of the businesses outside. Um, Maybe you just let them on all the time. But when do they shine the brightest? When do you see them the most? When are they the most pronounced? When do they most draw your attention to them? At night, in the darkness. That's when they shine the most. And that's one of the things that I think John is is wanting us to get here, is that in him was life, and that life was the light of man. The light shines it's, it's most radiant in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. We don't have to be afraid of the darkness. We don't have to be afraid of evil. We don't have to be afraid of pain. Even when it comes into our life, and even though we'd rather not have it, what we need to do is, again and again and again, is run to Jesus. It's to cling to him and to ask him to allow his light to shine through us greater and brighter because it's who he's made us to be. In Ephesians chapter five, <laughs> verse eight, 
Again, we once were darkness and now we're light in the Lord. It says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then he says this, and he, he mixes these metaphors here. And this is a metaphor that you see John mix as well um, in chapter one of his gospel here, and I'll read on in just a second. But Paul says in Ephesians 5.8, you once were darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So now he brings in this imagery of being God's children. And that we're his children, but we're children of light. We're children of light. John does the same thing here, as I can continue to read on in John chapter 1. Um, a few verses later, he says in verse 9, he says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. Why? Because the world was darkness. We didn't understand it. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But listen, but to all who did receive him. How do you receive him? You believe in him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, it says, he gave the right to become children of God. Children who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. That we have the, the right in Christ Jesus, because of what he did for us, to become children of God, to become something that we were not. The gospel is not just good advice, it's good news. It's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts and life principles and life hacks and, and, and super you know, little shortcuts in order to be able to just live your best life now. The gospel of Jesus Christ wants to transform us into something that we were not, namely darkness, and make us light, actually children of the light. And the reason we can become children of light is all because of what Jesus did for us. This past week, uh, my sister and brother-in-law adopted a little girl named Mackenzie. Um, they live down the Dayton area, and the, uh, um, the official adoption, I want to say service, that's not the right word. Uh, ceremony is not the right word either. Um, adoption hearing, there you go, <laughs> at the courthouse, was at this little courthouse down in southern Ohio, and we were not able to go, but uh, my mom and dad went, and my mom was, I don't know if she was doing it sneakily or not, but either way, she was taking a video of the adoption hearing um, as was taking place. And two things that the judge said that just struck me. Um, and again, just this idea of us becoming children of light is that he asked my sister Heidi and, and her husband Josh two questions that really stood out. One was, he said, do you understand that in adopting this little girl, that you are financially, morally, and legally responsible for her? And of course, these are questions that he has to ask and part of the legality. And of course, there was no hesitation on their part. And they said, yes, we understand. And then he asked him another question. He said, has anyone in any way coerced you or forced you against your will to do this? And of course, they said, no, no one's made us do this. They were doing it out of the love in their hearts and of their own free will because they wanted this little girl. And the thing that, that spoke to me uh, and that's just been on my mind all week and especially in regards to this thought of us becoming children of God, becoming children of light, is that folks, he, 
he comes in that first question, you know, where he said, Are you, do you understand that you're responsible financially, morally, and legally for, for her? Jesus came, and he took, he owns, he takes full responsibility for all of the darkness in our life. It does not matter what you did. It does not matter what you brought in here tonight. It doesn't matter how dark you think that darkness is. I'm telling you, Jesus takes full responsibility for it. The question is, will you do what John says here? Will you receive him? Will you believe in his name? Will you believe that on that cross, when literally at noon in the Middle East, where it's usually pretty bright and hot, darkness covered the whole land, because the light of the world was hanging on a cross. And he took all the darkness, all the sin upon himself. Not only that, but do you understand that just as the judge asked Josh and Heidi, has anyone forced you to do this against your will? The guys, he did it willingly. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he wants you in his family. He did it because he doesn't want you to live in darkness. He doesn't want you running into clotheslines and electric fences and whatever other thing might come into your life. Far worse than that. He wants to make you a child of the light. Will you believe in him? That's the question. And I want to be polite I mean, it's Christmas. Many of you here are guests. <laughs> but I wouldn't just encourage you to do that. I wouldn't just say, hey, well, you know, if you got time, you'll think, about I would plead with you. I would plead with you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. There is no other name in heaven or on earth by which men are saved except the name of Jesus Christ, and he alone has the power to transform you, not just other people, not just Jess, not just me, not just others who know him, but he has the power to transform you from darkness to light. Will you believe in him? Nate and Julia, I want to ask you guys to come up. We're going to close and we're going to sing uh, with our little lights here. Did you guys get one of these? Remember back in the day, traditional candlelight service, we used to use real fire? <laughs> wonder how many church buildings were burned down um, <laughs> because of that. But here's what I'd like you to do. I would like you to stand, okay? We're going to do this on the fly. Work together here. And I would like us to form a circle out around the outside of the sanctuary. We might, you know, have to make the circle kind of zigzag a little bit to pack everybody in. If we have to, we can fill the middle aisles here too. And Nate and Julia are going to sing, a, are going to lead us in the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is personally my favorite